Any questions? Uh, wait, what are we with? I, what do you mean, what do you, what do you, what do you want? No, no, nothing. I just, I, I just thought maybe there was a prize or something. I, I, an iPad or like. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, no, no, the winner gets an iPad. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Grund. Kirk and Anthony are here. Hey there, guys. I don't know about you, but I am just, I am full to the brim with Disney stuff. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know about you, Kirk. I don't know, but I, I gotta get it out. I just, I gotta get this out of my system. Like a, you know, I'm, I don't really believe in like detoxing because your body kind of does all that stuff for you. Um, but like, I gotta just get a cleanse of this Disney stuff out. So can we, you know, we'll, we'll maybe talk about some other stuff, but can we like talk about some Disney stuff on this podcast? You know, I don't think people know about the company enough and I think we should just get it out. You know, let me just get it out there. Oh gosh, what, what on earth are we going to talk about Disney-wise? Uh, why don't we start, because uh, we actually have a lot, with uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. That's actually what it's called, isn't it? It's the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Yeah, yeah, much like the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yeah. It is the Guardians Holiday Special. Yeah, yeah that's it. Uh, what uh, did you think? Um, I quite liked it. Um. It, it wasn't, like, amazing or anything. That being said, I don't know if it had the intention of being amazing because it's, like, a 40-plus minute, like, comedy, you know, thing. Um, but uh, I recognized a lot of the tropes in there. We had some animated segments. We had some uh, musical numbers. And I think I had said in my Letterboxd review because we reference Letterboxd so much on this fucking podcast. Should have called it that. Yeah. Um like it's 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 got heart it's got laughter it really does fit the sort of holiday theming so yeah you know not my mar- favorite marvel thing this year but i i had fun with it i thought it was lighthearted fun yeah i had fun with it as well uh it, maybe it wasn't uh quite what i was expecting um we did get musical numbers and and we did get some fun stuff i thought it might be a little closer to the star wars holiday special in terms of uh a variety show more of a variety show i guess is what i'm thinking like the old holiday specials used to be um but uh this worked well i mean it was like an hour film basically um and uh it was a nice there was a continuity wise there was some some good uh bridging there between the second guardians film or at least you know like infinity war and endgame to the next one uh the stuff Mm with uh, mantis being peter quill's sister was nice and uh yeah, I, I thought it was fun. Kevin Bacon was very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that this was a, a really fun way to give some spotlight on characters that, well, after the third film, we're probably never going to see again, potentially. I don't know. And because um, I, I saw a lot of people say, like, Mantis is finally a fleshed out, like, character, um, which is, is like, like, yeah, no shit. Like, uh, you know, I'm not saying that these people are, are wrong by any means, but, like, she was introduced amongst many characters in the second film of this franchise. And then the next two films she was in, really just one film, you know, if you really think about it, she was part of a cast that included every Marvel character that they had at that point. So Mantis realistically hasn't had a moment. So that's why this sort of served as a vehicle for, for her to really be the star. And then teaming up with Drax just makes the most sense comedy wise. And I mean, 
yeah, like it's it's pretty impressive that we've gotten so much with those two. And I thought this was like a really nice way to 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 do that is we're never going to be able to focus an entire movie or a show off these these characters, especially without James Gunn. So just doing a comedy special with them is is your best bet. And so it's like, yeah, this this made the most sense to have it focus on them and have it be about them and their little adventure on Earth. Uh, I thought that was a really smart choice. Yeah, I agree. Do, do we have more to say about the holiday special? Or should we talk about the the Guardians <laughs> three trailer? Um, I you know I yeah I guess it, at that point it's just sort of repeating. I thought it was fun. Um, yeah, I would I would love to know which GoBot killed Drax's cousin, but other than that, <laughs> it was a perfectly isolated little story. So yeah, if you like the Guardians characters, then by all means, you should probably give this a watch because. It's just more of those characters that you like. That's really it. Very simple. But you're right. We also did get a, a new trailer. We got a bunch of trailers, which we'll obviously dig into. Um, but the most thematic uh, one in terms of the conversation is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the final installment in James Gunn's sort of uh, Marvel uh, series, I guess. Uh, his tenure here at Marvel is, is ending with 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 this film which is really funny just because obviously it's no secret that he's now the head of dc studios and in charge of movies and video games and pretty much everything but the comic books at this point is what he said and constantly posting about dc characters so it's funny to kind of be like oh yeah and here we go here's my final stamp on the thing that really got me famous in the public eye in terms of mainstream media and i mean I, I love the Guardians characters. Star-Lord is, is one of my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe characters, right up there with Steve Rogers and the like. So I, I love this world. I love to see where it's going. And this one is it's what you'd expect from a Guardians movie in the best way possible. It's got heart. It's got some, some comedy. Um, I mean, at this point in time, I don't know what everyone else's opinion, but I'm not tired of Batista yet. And, uh, <laughs> no, you know, this trailer promises more Batista. So I'm, I'm happy. Even after the holiday special, I'm still, I'm still one more Drax. So, uh, yeah, this is, a, I, I can't help but be excited for the, for the third Guardians film. I, I'm so ready to see this kind of come to a finale. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned James Gunn. We didn't really talk about him being the new head of, of DC, uh, I don't know what you call that part of it. It's DC Entertainment is the whole company for DC films, but he also is overseeing video games and stuff, like you said. So I don't know what you call that. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it is funny. Like it's almost like you get a new job um, and you start at the new job, but you also have to do stuff for your old job. Like it, it, it's funny to see that online because as we've talked about, he's someone yeah. who is very active on Twitter. Last episode, we talked about the death of Twitter, but it's still just chugging along and nothing much has happened. So. I guess that was a big nothing, for now anyway. But anyway, <laughs> not to change the subject. But yeah, the Guardians three trailer was really cool. Um, it was very different to the trailer that they showed at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, uh, like I had watched the the bootleg version of that where it's all, you know, shot at an angle and because of when you shoot a screen from below, like every, the tops of everyone's heads are gigantic. <laughs> so a classic Comic-Con bootleg. Like that was classic Comic-Con bootleg. Yeah. Reminiscent of the old days. Very nostalgic. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so it, this was a very different trailer to that. This one was more of a teaser. It didn't, uh, like Gamora was just there and it didn't really, 
like I know in the the Comic Con trailer, there's a moment where where Quill sees her again and things like that. They didn't really do anything like that. This was more like a tease for the next adventure. It felt more like um, the last adventure or the really. last adventure. It's... Yeah, you're right. Uh, it was very dramatic. There was some emotional kind of moments in the trailer and yeah i'm very excited for it the guardians films like we've said they're they're fun movies the characters are all really likable james gunn's created a really neat world within the mcu and you know some of my favorite stuff in infinity war is the guardians sections of the movie uh so yeah Yeah. i'm very excited for the movie it looks neat yeah totally and of course i mean all the the comic booky stuff in there you know they've got the the new outfits that are reminiscent of the comics we've got you know, uh, characters like Adam Warlock showing up for the the first time. Uh, so it's, yeah, there's a lot going on. So being a fan of the movies or the comics, it seems like there'll be a, a good amount to, to dig into, which is, well, that's what these Marvel things are all about, right? It's like the balance of the general audience and those comic book dorks. So yeah, I'm, I'm super, super excited. But that was not the only trailer we got it wasn't even the only disney trailer that we got this week uh no did you see the ant-man one <laughs> the ant-man like the featurette about yeah ant-man's journey or whatever the no i i honestly did not watch it. oh was okay it, is it worth watching I, is it good? I actually thought just from like an editing standpoint it was well put together um it kind of re-solidified that scott lang's been a really important character um where like after watching the first ant-man you wouldn't have necessarily expected that but like you it it starts with similar to how the first trailer for the first ant-man was with uh michael douglas saying scott i need you to be the ant-man and like he's it's all dramatic (laughs) and he's you know him walking out of prison and that and uh the stuff with his daughter and then there he is with captain america and and wonder and falcon and winter soldier and hawkeye and it's like oh yeah you know it's a big part of that movie it becomes giant man and everything and uh then yeah like he's the one that comes up with the idea essentially to save everyone in uh endgame so i thought it was really good in showing this character's been really important this isn't a total change in pace like because obviously this looks a lot more dramatic than the other two films like the other two films were really advertised as comedies especially the second one this one is being advertised a lot more like a big epic film. Um, and I thought this did a good job at saying, this isn't a total, we're not changing lanes entirely. Like, this character has been part of some of this really big, dramatic, otherworldly stuff as well. And, yeah. uh, I mean, I've, I've seen it pointed out, our, our buddy Sam pointed out as well, that, like, it's just focused on Scott Lang, and then it says, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And you go, oh, yeah, the Wasp. <laughs> And I mean, I, <laughs> everyone's favorite character. Yeah, like I, I don't blame Disney for trying to take a little bit of a backseat and pushing uh, Evangeline Lilly. Like I don't blame them at all. Mm. But it is funny to see them just be like, ah, uh, but you like Scott Lang, right? So <laughs> everyone still likes Paul Rudd. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a universal, uh, you know, constant. So don't worry about that. We could always push Paul Rudd. Um, but no, before you sidetracked me with Ant Man news, um, <laughs> of course I. <laughs> I was referring to, you know, in 2017, we got a comic book movie directed by James Gunn called Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But in 2017, we got a comic book movie directed by James Mangold, who is now back 
after the success of Ford v Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember months ago when Kevin... No, it wasn't Kevin Feige, excuse me. He, he's not in charge of Indiana Jones. Um, <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy was like, we've got James Mangold. You know him from Ford v Ferrari. It, it was like, a, you know, the Disney Day or whatever it was, the Disney Investors Day. And it's like, Ford right. v Ferrari. I mean, I like Ford versus Ferrari, but... Oh, I love that movie, but no one else did, apparently. Logan was such a great film and such a big success, and it's funny that because Disney, at least at the time, didn't want to promote too hard, like, he directed something that we kind of own, but, yeah, but you know, I think things will be we different. show you. Yeah, th- things will be different now, I guess. Like, Logan's on Disney Plus everywhere, and, and Hugh mm-hmm. Jackman's coming back under the MCU umbrella, technically, so... Anyway, just that's amusing to me. But yeah, Indiana Jones yeah, from what now. Indiana Jones 5. What's it called? I've already forgotten. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Okay. Is what I believe it's called. Um which I I've, I've seen people sort of react to that it, cuz it's like Indiana Jones titles are kind of like Star Wars titles where if it doesn't come from the originals, if it hasn't existed your whole life, it kind of sounds fake like a a book or a video game. But, I mean, if you just say Temple of Doom out loud, what is that, you know? Like, I, it's iconic, for sure. Temple of Doom, it's got Doom in the title. <laughs> but, you know, Dial of Destiny isn't too far off from that, in my opinion. Um, Yeah, this is the fifth Indiana Jones film. It's the second time we're bringing Harrison Ford out of uh, you know, the museum. Yeah, um, <laughs> I wanted to go for like an indie reference, oh, okay. but you went for an old folks' home, well, uh, which is fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, he looks great in this. I, he, uh, you know, when he showed up at D twenty three and he was crying about the film, and I think you and I were a little bit like, well, okay, we'll see. Um, but I mean, I am starting to believe he might be a little genuine about this. I think uh, this character probably means an awful lot to him, and getting to make one last good film as indiana jones i think that probably means something to him so it looks good i've always gotten the impression that he really likes indiana jones when compared to han solo um like we remember 2015 when the force awakens came out and it was like wow look at harrison ford like this is not ender's game like it seems like he's actually (laughs) trying in this one and then like blade runner came out and he was like really giving his all on that yeah and yeah i i think Indy means more to him, and I feel like he'll try even harder in terms of, of this when compared to Han Solo. So, um, yeah, this is this is a film that I feel very cautious about just because the Indiana Jones franchise is something I, I, I genuinely enjoy. Those first three films, uh, The Last Crusade is one of my all-time favorite films, and uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull... You know, that was a film I saw on my birthday when it came out. <laughs> right. And it is obviously not remembered well, and for good reason, because it's not very good. And and so there will always be a part of me that is very cautious going into any future Indiana Jones films, just because, like, I don't have a lot of interest in seeing a bad Indiana Jones film. You know, I, I always say, like, uh, you know, a bad film, whatever. Bad Batman, he comes out with a bad movie. Well, there's going to be another Batman movie next year. So, like, it's not a whole lot to worry about. Indiana Jones is a little bit different just because, like, unlike Star Wars, it's not half of the franchise that's bad. Or, like, Batman, where it's like, oh, we'll get another one eventually. Well, 
the indie, it's a lot more rare <laughs> to get this this character. And honestly, after Harrison's gone, I don't want to see the character anymore. So this is kind of our last chance at ever getting an Indiana Jones film that I would be interested in. And it's being done by a director who, as we just discussed, is th- their work I, I enjoy as well. So if anyone could make a good indie movie, it's probably them. But, you know, there's still that, that voice in the back of your head that's like, don't get too excited. Yes. You know, like this is still a, a modern day action film. It'll never be what the originals were. There's still going to be an overabundance of special effects and all these things. There's the underlying worry of the de-aged Harrison Ford that apparently we're getting in the opening of the film. You know, the whole opening adventure is going to be a de-aged indie versus Nazis thing. I mean, there's a shot in the trailer and uh, our, our buddy Frank on, on Twitter had posted how far we've come with uh, Jeff Bridges from Tron Legacy a uh, little over a decade ago. And yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, when you look at it like that, then it, this is this is way better. But it is still that feeling of like, oh, what is it going to be like watching it in a full scene like we've gotten one shot where it's like it's there and it's gone in a blink of an eye i don't know what it's gonna look like and i i don't know i'm i'm i'm, I'm really hoping it's good sala was in the trailer <laughs> yeah that was awesome Gunner's davies is back baby Gunner's davies. <laughs> so i like that part um yeah i don't know it's it this was a this very much was a teaser it's doing the piano music to pull at your nostalgic heartstrings so it's hard to kind of talk about it because we don't know what the fuck the movie's going to be about. No. But hope, oh, hopefully it's good. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only does it have a really good filmmaker and none of the people that were involved in Crystal Skull are really hands-on on this, so that's a good sign as well. But uh, the cast are all really good. Like, Mads Mikkelsen is in it, Antonio Banderas, yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Boyd Holbrook, speaking of Logan, James Mangold's brought yeah. him back. Um, Toby Jones, good old reliable Toby Jones. Uh, yeah, it's... Oh, maybe, is he playing a Nazi again? We'll find out. <laughs> Hope so. No, I, it looks like he's, he's like Indy's friend or something. So I, I imagine him maybe being a professor of, of some kind. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I think it looks pretty neat. It looks like a fun adventure. Um, I like the Indiana Jones movies a lot. I, I don't have like this big connection to them like a lot of other people do, where I have friends who felt really moved by the trailer, and I didn't have that, but I... I mean... You know... <laughs> can't say that, you know, like, that's just silly. Well, you know, people... Nostalgia does things to people, you know? Like, not to me, but to other people. Well, uh, I mean, that's that's... I guess just people like we've we've been through the ringer too much, you know, when uh, like what was the last one that was Ghostbusters, you know, that was sure. the last like you're an adult and you're crying is like that's the whole feeling now. It's like at least with indie, it makes a bit more sense because those are like action adventure. It feels more appropriate to have emotions, you know, like there's, there's no scene in Ghostbusters like in the last crusade where he's reaching for the, the, the Holy Grail. You know, and his dad is, is like, Indiana, let it go, let it go, you know, that whole bit. So, I, maybe it'll be a bit more fitting with the Indiana Jones character, but, I mean, I love these these films, and, uh, I mean, it's going to have the, the humor, you know? I guess the, the, the screenshot that everyone's sharing is him all bug-eyed, because he, 
he does his little whippy action and then a million guns point at him it's a very indiana gonna... jones expression and very indiana jones yeah unfortunately a lot of like these youtube channels that post trailers like have all chosen <laughs> that as the thumbnail it's like oh god but anyway yeah um yeah sorry a bunch of motorcycles just drive why does that happen when i fucking record motorcycles drive past <laughs> It's an adventure going on outside. Yeah, it's, it's Boyd Holbrook on his motorcycle. Um, yeah, I don't expect we'll have anyone swinging on vines with monkeys in this film. I think this will uh, have a nice sense of fun and adventure, but I don't think it'll be quite as over the top as that. So, Speaking of monkeys, oh. did you... <laughs> get off the disney train for just a brief moment oh no but we have more stuff see uh we'll get back on it don't worry it loops around okay like the one at the parks uh we got some other trailers with other monkeys in them two different trailers did you see the the transformers rise of the beasts <laughs> trailer that came out this week that was the first trailer that came out on trailer day yes as you and i are, are calling it i did not see this transformers trailer <laughs> because i have no connection at all to transformers <laughs> Anthony, how was it? You're a Transformers boy. Um, the the Transformers fandom seems to be reacting to this very well. Um, it's hard to say whether or not it looks particularly good. It 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 looks more, you know, uh, coherent than a than a Bay film, I guess. That's a good sign. However, it's it's been five years since that movie came out, so we should kind of like get over that. Like that's kind of the thing. So this movie. For those of you who are unaware, is a sequel to Bumblebee, and is a pseudo prequel to the already made films. We're going X Men. I did not know that's what this was. Okay, <laughs> we are going full X Men. We have prequels now that are kind of tied to the originals, but ultimately they're probably going to ignore them. Like that is the period that we're in, and um, this one takes place during the nineties. We've got Optimus Prime and Bumblebee, and we've got some other characters thrown in the, the mix. And then we also have characters from the Beast Wars cartoon, which was like the sequel cartoon to the G1 stuff that came out in the 90s. So that cartoon is retro now. You know, it's nostalgic. People that were children then are now adults the same way in 2007. Kids were in the 80s, and now they're adults. So it's like their Transformers is now something to be nostalgic for. And so now they like those characters are showing up, which is Optimus Primal, who is like a gorilla Optimus in a way. They're different people, but obviously they have very similar names. My it's word. just based off of the pun, you know, Primal Prime. It's it's cute. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of animal dudes, and um, it, it it's kind of weird that we're still in a period because there's shots in this this trailer that feature Transformers characters that look like how you'd expect the characters to look. And it's amazing to me that this is technically the seventh film in this franchise, and we're still having that thing where fans are like, oh, it looks like the character. And that's just because the first <laughs> the five Michael films, films, they made a bunch of characters that look nothing like what we would expect, like not even remotely close. Like, it's funny comparing it to X-Men. You know, people complain about the lack of spandex and all these things. It, at least Wolverine looked like Wolverine with the hair and the claws and the characteristic, like transformers is so far off that that it's like we don't even know if characters like rc and whoever are going to act like the characters that we know but at least this time they actually look like them 
and um, they're they're doing the celebrity voice cast kinda. We got news that Peter Dinklage is playing the main villain Scourge, which I saw someone make a joke that if you want to make a, a prequel pseudo reboot, get Peter Dinklage. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> X Men, yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so yeah. We've we've got uh, Michelle Yeoh, we've got uh, Pete Davidson, we've got Ron Perlman, we've got like a bunch of like celebrity cast, which to hopefully means that like that they want people to go for the robots and they'll actually talk. Uh, it's a shame because it's you know there is that part of me that'll always be like, well, why didn't you get voice actors? But if they're putting names on the robots, that is making me think like, well, they're going to advertise it as go see the new Pete Davidson movie where he plays a robot, and then you go to see him and that means his character won't be in the movie for five seconds and not talk like the previous films. So I guess that's sort of like a, a double-edged sword where, yeah, I would prefer different voice talent, but at least it means that they want you to pay attention to the voices. I, I guess, I don't know. It, it's just a teaser trailer. It, it looks fine. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath and expect it to be particularly good. Um, I forget the director. Let me double check real quick. I think I know who it is, but I don't know for sure. Oh my God. It's Peter Weir. Peter Weir. No, it's not. I just, oh. just pulled a name out of my head. It's a uh, Stephen Cappell jr. Uh, who did Creed two. So uh-huh. I, I mean... Creed two was a good movie. Well, then this could be good, maybe. I don't know. Creed 2 uh, was not as good as Creed 1, but, you know, it was totally fine. Well, then that's probably what will happen here, is it probably won't be as good as Bumblebee, but it'll probably <laughs> be totally fine. So, um, Optimus is in this, in case anyone was wondering if that was going to happen. Yes, it's Peter Cullen. I How old I, is that I guy hope, now? Uh, Peter Cullen? Yeah. It's got to be pretty up there um peter Coleman famously uh hates a lot of his sort of characteristics and lines from the bay film so i hope he's 81 i i hope this is an opportunity for him to give a a prime performance that he's actually happy with in live action that is uh so i don't know it's transformers what do you expect that's what I, that's what it should say on the poster there in the, <laughs> i recommend the trailer for the worst like uh like title cards ever it says something along the lines of like million for millions of years the earth has transformed but now something will awaken it's like it's like an ai generated like trailer dial it's the weirdest thing it is (laughs) is so bad that you have to assume that like it, it comes off as a sentence where you like write the first part and then hand it off to somebody else and that like a game of telephone. It's very, very strange, but uh, who knows? There's robots in it. So of course, speaking of monkeys, we've got another trailer with a monkey in it and a whole bunch of apes. We've got the new official trailer, not just a teaser for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Now, did you watch this trailer that came out a couple days before? Um, not really. Um, I sort of <laughs> watched it. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I've, I, like, I've seen some clips from it, and I was like, okay, that's 
That sure is uh, Chris Pratt saying, wahoo. Yeah, yeah. So this is the, the full-on trailer. Uh, we get a little clip of everybody. Ironically, Donkey Kong himself is in the trailer, but we do not hear Seth Rogen as the Donkey Kong, which is, like, weird. Um, I guess that's what this trailer really showed, and it's really the unfortunate thing, is that, like, everyone's voice is either good or fine or acceptable, except for Chris Pratt. And, like, Chris Pratt, this isn't the first animated film he's ever done. He's not a bad actor. I don't know what it is. It's just like his Mario sounds so uninterested. It's so bland. I have no idea what's going on with it. It's so funny because Jack Black sounds good. Charlie Day makes sense as Luigi. Anya Taylor-Joy, you know, like they all work for what they're they're doing. It's They don't sound weird. Every time Mario talks, it, it sounds very flat and very strange. I have no idea what's going on there. Um, but I thought the trailer looked, looked good. Um, it's funny looking at it because I feel like for a while there, and still it goes on, where you have these adaptations where the first one is like so trying hard to like adapt it, but ultimately not really adapt it. Like I think of G.I. Joe. I think of Power Rangers, Ninja Turtles, uh, Sonic, even. Like, they don't want to give you the full experience if you're a fan. And then the second one is when you get more of what you want. You know, once again, the Sonic 2 is more Sonic-y than ever. And Ninja Turtles 2 was more Ninja Turtles. And, and, I, and I feel like if Power Rangers had gotten a sequel instead of the first film where they spend the last 10 minutes as Power Rangers, <laughs> you know, they would have given you what you had wanted as a fan and seen them as Power Rangers for most of the film. Um, Mario is the opposite. It seems like maybe they don't, maybe they don't want to, or maybe they don't think they will get a sequel. Cause like it is just unabashedly Mario. Like at the end of this trailer, we get like everyone in carts and they're driving on the rainbow road. And it's like, Oh my God, like you're doing Mario Kart, Like th that's, like, I wouldn't even think you would have really tackled that, but it seems like they're really putting in everything. This does not feel like, oh, well, we got to make a Mario movie. Well, we got to have it like, ugh, we got to have it be, you know, very limited and, and simple. It's like, no, this just looks like a Mario, a movie that takes place in the Mar Mario universe with, you know, the Koopas and the Mushroom Kingdom and, you know, all the things that make Mario Mario are here besides the voice. And, like, that is surprising to me. Uh, it's vibrant. It's colorful. I think it's going to be a decently fun time. It's still an Illumination movie, so the comedy probably won't be particularly good. However, there's some nice expressive shots in the film. It definitely feels like we've we've moved away from the trying to copy Pixar's work and make everything realistic and textured nicely and all these things. We are now in an era where you can make very expressive 3D cartoons again. So uh, I think it'll look good. I think it's going to be as good of an adaptation of Mario, you know, in terms of a, of a brand that you possibly can. I just don't know about the voice. That's just like, but ultimately, just like Sonic, it's going to be a kid's movie. So if you are a 40 year old man that remembers playing the, the NES and you're wanting your, your Mario movie, it, it's still from the people that made minions so like don't don't get too hyped you know it, it looks pretty but that's i think that's gonna be about it
everybody just calm the fuck down. <laughs> That's all I'll say. It's kind of like Transformers. Everyone's just like, it doesn't suck. Yeah. And everyone's getting really excited. And that's kind of, that's the extent of it. That was, that's where we're at right now. That's kind of what the first Sonic movie was like. Um, like that yeah. first trailer was so tonally terrible with the, the, the Coolio song. And, and obviously he looked horrible design wise. And then they went and changed the design and, uh, and the movie was like totally okay. And it would have been the exact same movie even if, you know, with the different design. Um, but uh, but it was not so bad. People yeah. trick themselves into thinking things are not so bad. <laughs> I guess people are so used to their things being destroyed, you know, whatever your opinion is on, like, franchises like Star Wars or Jurassic Park or Terminator, whatever. Like, people are oh, so God. used to seeing these things they love die that when, when you see something that isn't the worst thing ever... It's like, oh, thank God, you know, which is which is sad. Ultimately, you know, I I want to rain on your parade. If you're excited for Transformers or Mar- like everything we've talked about today, I'm gonna go see. So like, don't think that I'm just gonna poo poo all over your your happiness. Like next year, we've got the new Mission Impossible coming out next year. Like all these movies, I'm gonna go see. And I'm very hyped uh, for a good number of them. But at the same time, I'm also setting realistic expectations for some of these ones where it's like. this one probably won't be as good as this one you know (laughs) let's just let's just be honest the the mario movie will be a kid's movie and i'm fully expecting that the same like you said with sonic you know it's it it, it's it'll probably be not horrible that does not make it a good film but it does make it not horrible so there's that i guess i don't know i guess we can go back onto the disney track now let's go back to disney okay uh, I will I will start okay. since I've I've got a couple different Disney things that I can hop on. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll I'll start with the newest thing first. Uh, Kirk, do you watch Defunct Land at all? Have you watched any of their videos? I know I've watched videos in the past. I have not seen the documentary that came out. Was it last year? That I I heard was uh, very good. Um, I I I should watch that, and I. Here, I should also watch another documentary. So, uh, but I, I'm aware of who Defunct Land is. Yes, uh, they they sort of created this. I say they. Uh, Kevin Perjurer is like the guy behind. It. I'm, you know, he doesn't do it alone, but he is the mind behind it. Is in, in terms of the channel, uh, he's made it sort of a yearly thing, starting in 2020, to release these these like yearly docs. Uh, the first one was on a band that was created for Disney parks in like the eighties, I want to say. And it was like a real band. It was, it was like, they wanted to create like a sci-fi band with like a, a characters that were, that had like their own lore and everything. And so they hired like actual musicians to basically make a real band. They just happened to be playing characters that looked like they came from a star Wars knockoff, you know, like they had like a big furry character and a robot character and, you know, people in weird costumes, and there's a whole documentary about it. I definitely recommend it. Um, and then the following year, last year, they released a documentary on the Disney Fast Pass system, yes, which was a whole the one I know history about. and everything. That one is very good. And then this year, just recently, they released a documentary on who created the Disney Channel sort of jingle, the little theme song that used to play, where 
if you remember uh, watching Disney Channel back in the day, you know, you'd have your, your favorite Disney Channel star show up and they'd say, hi, I'm so-and-so and you're watching Disney Channel. And they would make the Mickey Mouse, you know, Disney Channel logo out of like a glowing wand, essentially. And uh, there's a little tune that went bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah. And I guess for the longest time, there's no public records of who made that little ditty. <laughs> like, oh, my God. We just we just didn't know. Um, if, if you look up who wrote the the Nickelodeon, you know, bum, 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 Nickelodeon. We know who wrote that. Okay. You know, we, we, we have the person who wrote the NBC. We, we have all that information. We do not know who did the Disney Channel theme. And so that's what this documentary is, is going into the history of what this was. It's going into who it could possibly be. And it really is like basically digging through like old bumpers and like the time periods of when this would have happened and come out and seeing who worked on what around what time. And it's interviews with people that worked with Disney channel throughout the years and their experience with stuff and making bumpers. And it's really cool because obviously people like us are fans of behind the scenes featurettes and watching makings of like big popular movies, but like everything is made in terms of entertainment. So like, watching Disney Channel and there's like a five second bumper that leads into the show. Someone made that, you know, someone had to have made it from their brain because it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Granted, as we get into the AI sort of era, maybe that won't be true anymore, but (laughs) back in the two thousands, it was true. And it is a really interesting dive in kind of a, ultimately there is kind of a message of like, if you create what defines like an artist, like, do you have to make big, profound, mythical sort of things in order to be considered, like, a creator? Like, are you a content creator? Is that a bad thing? You know, like, being remembered, what is your legacy? Like, all that kind of stuff. It digs into that in a really interesting way. And uh, I I thought it was great. Like, the, the ending of this really hit me in terms of, of, you know, well, both of us, we create things on the internet, you know, we, we're technically doing it right now, we're doing yeah. a podcast. <laughs> so yeah, um, it really did hit me hard. So I, I totally recommend, I think it's like an hour and a half long. Yeah. Yeah. It is a wonderful little story where you're going to get lost and be like, well, where does this go? You know, watching him pick up leads and see all this stuff. Um, there's a whole bit early on with him digging into old footage that I won't spoil, but it is a very like surprisingly shocking, like funny moment. Wonderful stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I would, I would highly, and, and all the other docs, like, you know, all of his videos are great because it's defunct land. It's just taking theme park attractions and rides and all this stuff. And once they're defunct, you know, they're gone. He'll do a video on the history and what led to it being defunct. And, uh, yeah, uh, it was. This was a very, very interesting deep dive, and it was really good. That sounds really fascinating. Um, I didn't really know what it was about. I had seen people uh, log it online, as you know, as a <laughs> on on Letterbox, I should say. Um, but it's constantly been recommended to me on YouTube, so that's good. It's trending. People are seeing it, not just the regular audience. So I will definitely check it out. Yeah, and I know it's stereotypical to say, but I've seen a lot of people say it. Is you know even if you're not familiar with Disney channel or whatever, that kind of stuff, it's still a really 
intriguing story. Like, yeah. because it, it, it in itself is, like, unraveling a mystery, you're going to find yourself being like, well, where does this go? Sure. Like, what happens? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's good. Well, that's good. I have a Disney thing to discuss. Uh, Was it as good as this? Uh, I don't think it will be. Uh, I watched oh. Disenchanted. The sequel to 2007's Enchanted. Uh, The first Enchanted, it's funny looking back at it because it's kind of a big anomaly by today's Disney standards. (laughs) Because it it manages to both successfully pay homage and make fun of Disney's old fairy tale films of the past or their musicals of the past. And like, it's it's very tongue in cheek, obviously, but like that's just mm. totally unlike Disney today, right? I mean, their main focus now is in a way, yeah. Their their main focus is remaking their animated classics generally, <laughs> and uh, it was like a prototype for their like 2010 period, yeah, where they were making original like, stuff, animated princess stuff, but was also kind of like this isn't the old princesses, like. It was kind of a, a, a test in the waters to see how DreamWorksy they can be with their, sure. you know, while still being Disney, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but in the 2010s, you see Tron Legacy and uh, Tomorrowland and, like, all of these different films that try to be, we're going to be the new big franchise. Uh, you know, they, they had essentially run the course with Pirates of the Caribbean and they needed something else live action that would be their next big franchise. Um, yeah. and, uh, what was it called? John Carter of Mars. And, uh, um, <laughs> uh, um, there's one, that, oh, it, um, uh, the army hammer one, the lone ranger, like yeah. all of these wow. failed attempts at a new franchise. And I'm surprised that we're only just now getting a sequel to enchanted because it was successful. It's not like it, I think it made like 340 million against like an $80 million budget or something like that. And it's not like that year it came out, there was a lot of big films there was a pirates film that year and like shrek 3 and spider-man 3 and transformers and like it was a big franchise year and like most of those franchises still exist today which kind of shows you the state of movies today as well and an enchanted sequel is made just to put content on a streaming service i mean that's really sad to me but anyway that's that's beside the point um so uh it it just wasn't very good. Like we live in this age of now, Enchanted is nostalgic for people. Like th- this film from two thousand and seven, people have fond memories of it. So now we can dig it up and and bring it back. And everyone's young enough that they can still play these roles. And I don't yeah. You know, like one of the aspects from the first film that is really strong. And I know this is me saying this, but like James <laughs> Marsden in that first film, here we go, is so funny yeah here we go indeed shut the shut up um (laughs) he's he's so good in it and he's barely in this one and oh like timothy sprawl for like he's another part of the first one that's really funny like in the end leisure and the animated segments he's like the bumbling sidekick to uh susan sarandon's like wicked queen character and he plays that character in live action really funny you take away these important elements from the first film, the whole fish-out-of-water element that also makes that first one fun, and then what are you left with? I guess to explain the plot is Giselle, Amy Adams' character, uh, she and Patrick Dempsey and uh, Patrick Dempsey's daughter move to a place that's like a run-down... Uh, it's almost like an old 
theme park, like, uh, like, like a Disneyland style place where there's like castles and stuff everywhere, and they move into one of these homes so that she can, Giselle can feel more at home after living in New York City for years, and uh, the daughter is resentful and and she gets a, a magic wand from uh, James Marsden and Adina Menzel, and she wishes for to be like happily ever after or something like that. And this causes the world, the whole planet, to be turned into, like, a fairy tale place. And Giselle starts becoming, like, an evil stepmother, because she's the stepmother to Patrick Dempsey's daughter. Oh. And she's forcing her to do all of this stuff. So, like, Amy Adams in the movie is really quite good, because she gets to play both the airy fairy princess Giselle character, and she plays this wicked stepmother at the same time. And, uh... She's very good. So that is a big positive I'll say about the movie. But the rest of it, eh. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Adina Menzel gets to sing a real big song that feels like, oh, she'll probably be performing this at the Oscars. She's a good singer. She's a great singer. I mean, it felt like the song that she sings, this really powerful song, it feels like they're Let It Go, like in this film. And uh, <laughs> Disenchanted, eh. Not very good. Kind of boring. <laughs> is, is content made for a streaming service what can you say damn well um i guess that's that i'm sorry you know that your your <laughs> your james morrison content did not live up to its predecessors this year and i'm, I'm sorry for that i guess that's true because uh, obviously he was in uh sonic 2 but he also came back for Westworld, and Westworld got cancelled. I was just so. gonna... I was literally gonna ask, because I know Westworld finished this year, and then was cancelled. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Oops. But I was gonna ask if yeah. he had come back for it, so that's funny. He that, did. Like... Yeah, they brought him back. I've not seen past the first season. I liked it, and I guess when the second season came out, I just wasn't very interested, and I then started hearing, oh, it's not as good this year, and I just never continued. This is like season five or something. Four or five. I don't know. Four. Yeah, it's it's ending with four. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's it's Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy and, uh, I don't know, J.J. Abrams, I think, was involved in it as well. First season was good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, James. Get something better next time. Jesus. Um, I hear that show that he's on on Netflix is very good. Lie to Me, is that what it's called? I, no, that was a Tim Roth show. Oh. That was uh, <laughs> you lied James to me Marsden just now. Netflix. I did. Uh, Dead to Me. Oh, I was close. Okay, close enough. Um, well, yeah, I'm sorry that didn't work out for you, but uh, you did bring up famous. Uh, she's on Broadway, right? Broadway singer. Yeah. Uh, Adina Menzel, not Adele Dazeem. That's an old meme, okay? Everybody get over it. You mentioned Frozen. Uh, I actually have a Frozen-related sort of story to tell uh, for the pod here because I just saw Frozen and Frozen 2 for the very first time this past week, which is uh, history. It truly is. You know, it was the most popular animated films <laughs> <laughs> the uh the 2010s and i had never seen it um you know I, I i didn't really have anything against it it was just what was that movie 2013 right it was yeah um i just i was 
out of high school, I didn't have a lot of interest in seeing a princess movie, even though I, I liked Tangled. Um, yeah, I just wasn't really <laughs> Tangled. I haven't thought about Tangled for a long time. Tangled's quite good. I don't. I. I. You know. Eh. Maybe I might like Frozen more. I don't think I do, but Frozen, the first Frozen, is uh, quite good. Have you ever seen Frozen, Kirk? Was I the only one who had never seen this film? Uh, no, I was also the other only one who had never seen Frozen. <laughs> well, I recommend it. Um, you know, this movie, I feel like, got a lot of hate because it was, like, the most popular thing. And it was <laughs> sure. the epitome of, like, a little girl's ultimate experience in a way. And still is, I would say. I would say if, if you were to play Let It Go for a small child, they would lose their minds. Which was part of the fun watching this. Because I watched this on Disney+, Plus, obviously. And, like, knowing the impact that some of this stuff had, it was funny watching it and thinking of, like, gosh, for some girl, this was, like, her awakening, in a way, uh, was listening to these songs. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 a really simple, solid flick. Like, it almost feels right out of the sort of 90s renaissance period, in a way. Like, it's got really good music. Um, I, I will say that <laughs> um, Kristen Bell... Is a is is a person that can sing really well. She's a good singer. Her her songs are good. However, oh, um, when compared to Adina Menzel, she's dwarfed. There there is yes, there's a couple <laughs> songs where we get both of them. One of the earliest songs for the first time in forever. We get this this song how uh, Anna, the non cold sister. She's singing about how excited she is because they're going to open up the gates for the very first time to the kingdom and let all these people in. And she's been, like, shut off from her sister this whole time. So she's singing about, you know, for the first time in forever, she's going to find happiness and get to connect with people. And that's partially why she falls in love so quickly with uh, the the bad guy, you know. Um, and so she's singing. And then, because while this is happening, we get to Elsa's point of view where she's, like, afraid that people are going to find out about her her powers and it's just hearing them it's just way more powerful oh my like definitely people that have seen it are gonna know what i'm talking about but when it gets to the part where she's like tell the gods to open up the gate and it's it's like really really big and it's just it it hits harder than anything that Anna sings honestly and yeah, let it go is just so good. Like I, I know it's it's the meme song and it's the song from the movie, but like it's a good song, and uh, I like it. I like the characters. I didn't think I would like the funny snowman, but like he's not that annoying. Like he's he's got some lines that really made me laugh. Not everything, but like yeah, he's good. I liked it. I liked the funny little snowman character Olaf. Um, I liked. I like Kristoff. He's good. He's like a guy who can only talk to his reindeer. And like he talks for his reindeer, which is funny. But like people look at him weird appropriately. Like all that stuff is really good. It's a it's a very, very simple story about sisters reconnecting after, you know, splitting off when they were younger. And I liked that about it. Very, very good in terms of a nice, straightforward non sort of like typical love story but a love story nonetheless so i like i i give that a thumbs up 
in terms of, of animated Disney films. Nice. Frozen 2 is weird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Frozen 2 is like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, so you had, like I just described, this very simple story, and it's all about sisters, like, reconnecting. And you can understand that. In this one, they decide to go, no, lore time. <laughs> and so they, <laughs> they set up all of these things, like these elementals and like rules to magic. And like, it's all very confusing. And you take this thing where it's like, okay, you know, true love wins in the end in the first film. And in this film, you kind of feel like, eh, the characters don't need each other. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like the whole like it, you know what anna in the second film reminds me of finn from star wars because elsa is like doing her thing and really owning it her her song into the unknown and frozen 2 awesome love it really good song i've listened to it several times um anna just is like chasing after the whole film being like, it's dangerous, wait, no, we have to do it together. And meanwhile, Elsa's like, no, we don't. And then she does it, and it's, like, fine. Like, there's only one bit, like, she, she like, because she's, like, I guess Elsa's whole bit in the second one is, like, oh, I feel like I'm, like, a loner because of my mystical powers, and I want to find others like me. Very much like Rey in The Last Jedi. I was expecting her to show up at a fucking mirror and snap and be like, oh, it's just me. Um, just kind of what happens. Who are my parents? Yeah, that's basically it. And it just it makes no sense. There's a there's a love ballad for Kristoff that's a total like '80s music video. I like that part, but yeah, I don't know. I just didn't really get what they were going for. Like ultimately, you could be like, oh, it, it's about like there's an element about it that's kind of like colonization we learn of this story where it's like, as a kid, they were told of like, Oh, these, these two different groups met up and they were really friendly and nothing sinister happened, but then crazy shit happened. And then it's like, Oh, we found out that our grandparents were bad or whatever. And like, that's the reveal. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the white people coming in and being mean to the natives is as friendly as you can make that in a kid's animated film. That's not called Pocahontas. So it's like that's in there on top of other all this bullshit. I, I'd be totally fine and actually want them to make another Frozen movie, just because I like the characters and the music. But like, I don't think it'll be good because the second one wasn't particularly good. So there's no way they could make another one because they couldn't even do it for two. So, but I I would like them to make another so I can see it in theaters because I didn't see the other two in theaters so I would like to see another one. And you just gotta give yeah. give those movies a chance to make money. You know you gotta be able to see them finally. Yeah, I wanna I wanna do that. And yeah, any 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 song that has Elsa in it is a good song. So that's at least something to take from that. So that's all. Cool. That's that's I guess all of our Disney talk for today everybody we got it out oh so much i told you there was a lot I wasn't kidding uh i saw a couple of films anthony that have nothing to do with disney um, okay. although one i guess you could kind of figure out a way that it has a slight connection and i'll get to that but uh uh i saw a film called she said do you know what this film is anthony is that like the the limp biscuit song is that a song limp biscuit has ain't that limp biscuit am i wrong 
that he said, she said bullshit. That song. Good God. That's Fred Durst, right? That is Fred Durst, you're right. Okay. Um, no, this is not about that at all. I'm glad we're making jokes about this. <laughs> this film is about the uh, New York Times journalists who uh, broke the story about Harvey Weinstein's abuse. Oh, so it's not about the director of The Fanatic. Okay, cool. All right, well, we got that covered. The, the connection to Disney, I was going to say, is that they talk a lot of, in the film about Miramax, because that was Harvey Weinstein's company. And yeah. the owners of Miramax were Disney at one stage. I don't know if they still are. Probably not. But uh, um, it's, they just kind of throw out in the film, this is a criticism I have, is that they throw out these terms that only people who are into films would understand. Um, like, they talk about Miramax a lot, but ha Weinstein is no longer involved in Miramax, wasn't involved when this stuff started coming out. Um, so, like, they also start talking about the Weinstein Company. And it's like, you should probably establish that those are two different companies. But, anyway. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it could easily be... The film could be easily accused of being made because it is a recent event and people are aware of it. So, it'll make more money that way or, you know, awards bait or whatever. Um, I don't think that's what was intended. I do think they had honest intentions here um but the events did only happen a few years ago so i understand that point of view um i personally would have waited a little bit longer to make this film because uh, a problem with it is that all of these actors in it like in real life the actors that uh, that came forward like although you know people play rose mcgowan and gwyneth paltrow over the phone like people play their voice and uh <laughs> it wasn't really her uh it definitely wasn't them it was very jarring especially the rose mcgowan voice was i didn't think that sounded like a like a saturday night live parody oh. but like ashley judd for example plays herself and there's a moment where she like comes on board and is treated like this big like triumphant moment and i was kind of like oh I, I like we had one scene with her earlier this sort of feels a little out of left field again this may be exactly what happened in real life but in terms of the flow of the story it felt a little just jarring in general um the movie also does give you this impression at the end of we did it we exposed <laughs> and fixed abuse in hollywood it's not quite the case is it i mean that this stuff still is, is happening today uh, the story to be fair i guess is about exposing weinstein and weinstein is in prison and he'll never work in the industry again so they did get him so that's true but the film, I'm sure, like I've said this on Letterboxd, I'm sure the film that people would compare this to the most is Spotlight. Um, yeah. I rewatched Spotlight after seeing this to, to compare them, and Spotlight is definitely a better movie, but I think the thing that Spotlight does the best is there's like a... We learn about the scope of the story through the journalists uncovering more and more information, but Spotlight did a really good job at showing how many people in Boston were aware of how many priests were abusing children mm -hmm. and how many people were sort of turning the other way and you know and they don't do that in she said they don't really show how many people in hollywood were just turning a blind eye and i guess it's because this is being made by hollywood people that they don't do that um like you know this is being produced by brad pitt's company and quite famously brad pitt did work with weinstein again after Weinstein had abused Angelina Jolie, so it, there's certainly a, a portion of this film that feels a little 
hypocritical. And he's also not such a great guy either, so. No, and then there's also other stuff that's come out about him. So it's like, yeah, there's a lot about it that, that, like, when it ends, you're kind of like, hmm, I feel very hollow. (laughs) Like, there's, there's the story here, and, you know, I, I think the story of the women who came forward is an important story and should be told, but just underneath it, there's all this other stuff that I just couldn't help but notice. And, uh, um, I will say that, like, I think the thing, a, a portion of the film that I really liked was at the very beginning, we see this woman walking her dog and she stumbles across a, a film being shot and she then joins the crew. She becomes a runner on set and, um, uh, it kind of shows like the, the magic and wonderment of the film industry, you know, and like behind the scenes in movies. And then it harsh cuts to her running, literally running like frantically in tears down the street and you know what's happened right that was really effective so uh the film isn't without its its positives i mean the cast are all very good but uh yeah it was i just kind of watched it and i was like yeah i, I get why this story is made this uh film has been made it's an important story but i just thought there could have been a little bit more of an interesting way to make it and uh it probably was also made a little too soon so well i'm sure it won't be the last so We'll, we'll get another crack at the story eventually. If people want to watch a, a film that effectively shows industry people turning a blind eye to shitty behavior, watch The Assistant. That's a good movie. Oh, yeah. That was uh, last year? Came out a couple of years ago now. A couple of years ago. Uh, okay. Julie Garner from Ozark. Yeah, it's a good film, so I'd recommend it. Got that. options, people. Keep that in mind. <laughs> um, uh, another film that I watched, I'll briefly talk about Tar. Oh. Do you know much about... Yeah. Yeah. Kate Blanchett, right? Kate Blanchett, indeed. Um, yeah, uh, really good film. Great performance from Kate Blanchett, and uh, uh, really interesting take. There's a theme here, but a really interesting take on watching a celebrity or a person in powers fall from grace. It's like she has this descent into not madness. It's, it's not that severe, <laughs> but it, but it is like 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 disorder. Like it's just her life just. You know, you watch it fall apart before your eyes. Like and, Charles uh, Foster Kane. Like Charles Foster Kane. <laughs> so she plays Lydia Tarr, Kate Blanchett does, and uh, she's a musician and a composer. Uh, but most importantly, she's a highly successful uh, orchestral conductor. It's sort of difficult to, to talk about things in the film without spoiling things, but she's clearly been taking advantage of... Uh, this is an aspect of the film. It's not what the film is entirely about, but she's clearly been taking advantage of at least one young musician um, who feels like they've been seen by someone as successful and as powerful as her. And um, really, really great film. It has a really creepy atmosphere at times. That's an aspect that I I don't see a lot of people uh, commending, but that's a a part of the film that I really liked. And uh, one of my favorites of the year. I'd recommend seeing it. It doesn't get released in cinemas here until late January, but it is available for digital now in America, so that's... Uh, how I watched it, VPN really comes in handy for stuff like this when our release schedule in Australia sucks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, great film. Uh, just just a very atmospheric, really great performances, just totally unique. Uh, yeah, I can't say enough good things about Tar. Well, I've, I've heard good things, so this coincides with those other things that I've heard. 
Any other weirdo films that you saw? <laughs> Any weirdo films? <laughs> no. Uh, I think those are the only weirdo films I watched. Um, I mean, I've, okay. I watch a lot of other films, but in terms of recent films, that's all I've watched. You ever seen Black Christmas, Anthony? Black Christmas. Um, did that... That came out within the last couple of years, right? Actually, this is a film from 1974. So, uh, oh, actually, no. I think there's been other Black Christmases. This is, was like a, a slasher film set in a sorority house. It was really good. It's, it's free on YouTube <laughs> it's and stuff. It's the season, I guess. It is the season, yeah. I'm probably going to watch this every uh, Christmas season now because it was very creepy. I loved it. Okay, yeah, there was a 2019 film that came out called Black Christmas okay. as well. So I wasn't wasn't crazy. No. There was something within the last few there years. Very simple title. I don't this know. one had uh, a young Olivia Hussey and a young uh, Margot Kidder in it. So wow, <laughs> I didn't know she was in other things besides. Superman. She was in something before Superman. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, I guess uh, it's main event time. It's time for the main event. Yes, it is uh, the the film that we both saw this Thanksgiving season. The film that, um, in a way, probably should have just gotten a theatrical release because it probably would have made mo- enough money, but I think so. has been relegated to select screenings and a, a Netflix release. And that, of course, is the new Ryan Johnson film, The Last Jedi 2. Wow. It is, uh, he's returned to the franchise with all of his favorites. Um, no, we're talking about Glass Onion. Glass Onion, which is Knives Out 2. As I was, I was kidding, guys. Um, although I will say, there is a scene in this film where I don't, I don't think Ryan Johnson will ever be able to make a film ever again, where people don't, at least, at least some people don't think that one of the scenes has to be like, is this about, is this about Star Wars. Um, I'm not saying it is in the context of the film, it clearly isn't. That being said, I can see people very easily watching a scene of, especially in this film, and going, I see. Is he talking about? Is he talking about Star Wars? About breaking Star Wars? Um, but Glass Onion, yeah. What did you think? I loved Glass Onion. Uh, I was glad I saw it in a cinema. I had a, a good cinema experience seeing it. Uh, people seemed to really enjoy it, and uh, I had a similar moment to what I had with Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think I talked about this when we discussed the film. Um, well, I think we discussed it separately on this show. But uh, there was a point where, like, like something funny is happening and, like, you kind of chuckle and then other people chuckle and then everyone's laughing out loud and then you're kind of just laughing. And uh, I had a moment like that in this film that I, I, I know if I'd seen it alone by myself on my TV that I wouldn't have had that uh, sort of uh, experience. <laughs> um, right. I'm talking about the sweatshop part. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, spoiler free. That's a great out of context. I was uh, going to say that we, we just, yeah, <laughs> let's laugh at the sweatshops. Let's no, we're going spoiler free for now, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was very funny. I think it might arguably be funnier than knives out, but it's a different type of comedy. Um, and it's also a different yeah. type of mystery, which I was really surprised by. Yeah. Like they're both whodunits, but. Knives Out is does something very clever in that uh, it's it's not really a, a whodunit for most of it. It's like you're watching someone, you're told how something happened, so it's how do they get away with something uh, more so than a whodunit. And then you get to the end and you realize, oh, it's, it's someone else behind 
this as well, and, and I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I watched a film a couple of months ago uh, called The Last of Sheila, and it it's very clearly, and I've, upon research, I know that, that Ryan Johnson actually did get inspiration from this film, but um, in fact, it was written, this film, by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins, uh, and Sondheim cameos, the late Stephen Sondheim cameos, uh, on Zoom, uh, he's, he's one of the people that plays Among Us with uh, Benoit Blanc. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's wild. And that was not something I was expecting, Among Us in a movie, in this movie? <laughs> I guess that makes sense. <laughs> we got it in the Guardians 3 trailer. Oh, don't say that. You know? <laughs> Listen, that, that, that comic book nerd James Gunn can claim it's, oh, it's 2001. Yeah, pretty sus, okay? <laughs> Good lord. Um, it's been a long time since Among Us was a thing, I feel like. I guess people probably still play it. Children probably do. But... Well, this this movie takes place in May 2020. Yeah, so. which I also didn't know going in. I don't know if that was common knowledge or not, but uh, yeah. all these little things throughout of like noticing certain people not wearing masks, um, or Ethan Hawke comes in and he, uh, he starts spraying people's mouths with stuff, and I think it might be Benoit Blanc says that tastes like detergent (laughs) like or something like that or like hand sanitizer and you realize oh it's like when you realize the true nature of of uh, edward norton's character um you realize like oh that's him thinking that he's like doing everyone a favor and this is like some probably some stupid like covid prevention thing that like might have been online back then it was a crazy time yeah yeah it's it's funny circling back to to what you said earlier uh like this is a very different film than the knives out and uh but it's still an interesting sort of deconstruction and uh it it almost plays with like stupidity in a way i guess that's like the most common thing for this film um because it's a lot of like laughing at people like if if you feel a certain way about certain kinds of people you're gonna have fun because you're gonna have that feeling of like being superior in a way laughing at a lot of the stuff because it, it pokes fun at a lot of different things and uh a lot of that is very upfront mm-hmm. we have you know sort of social influencers and a lot of like airhead type sort of characters and uh yeah edward norton's entire character is like a big facade in a way that we'll delve in a bit more later but yeah it's very different from the first one but in a way it still fits into this this new like i don't want to say anti mystery film because it is still a mystery yeah. and it's fun to unravel all the pieces mm-hmm. but it is it is very much a a mystery in a new way which i guess is the the motif for these these films so um yeah it's it's a it's a lot of uh <laughs> a lot of fun and you're definitely right with it probably being funnier than the first one uh i've seen a lot of people say and i can agree that it's like benoit blanc you put this character in a in a situation and like i'd be fine with it <laughs> yeah you know like i can't imagine something where it wouldn't be funny just to watch uh daniel craig do this character because mm-hmm. he's just so into it at this point i love it I, it's really really fun so yeah this is probably a funnier movie than the first yeah i think uh, it, it's hard to say you know? <laughs> <laughs> the first one's got some good moments you know it really does like yeah i heard someone say that like when i finished watching the film one of my friends said they thought it was funny and i thought like ooh, might be early to say but then like upon reflection i thought you know what it might be because there's just a different type of humor and like you said the first one 
definitely has a theme of a lot of films in 2019 had this but there's definitely an eat the rich like type theme that the first one has and this one it kind of makes fun of you know obviously there's a lot of wealthy characters in this as well but but like a lot of phony characters and a lot of fakeness and um that lends itself really well to a mystery story and yeah uh, yeah i i I don't know if i actually said the point i was going to make earlier but i mentioned uh the last of sheila and that film is a bunch of friends uh go to their famous friend's boat and he has a murder mystery for them and uh i'm going to uh, you know i won't spoil the last of sheila i would recommend it but uh but something happens and then it becomes a real mystery (laughs) and uh this obviously something very similar happens but I was not expecting what happened to happen. Should we just go into spoilers now? Because I don't know if we can say much more. Yeah, I would say we recommend it. Go see Glass Nine. It's a fun time. Yeah. It's a really fun time. Um, this will this will be good as we're getting into it. Um, my theater experience sure. wasn't like horrible, mm-hmm. but it wasn't particularly good either. Um, so I, I, like I sort of alluded to earlier, a lot of this is like just like about stupidity, and spoiler alert. As we already said, we're getting into spoilers. A lot of this depends on it's like not smart. <laughs> the the tools in which the things occur is not clever. It's not a smart thing. And um, I mean, it's so much fun watching this and realizing where all the pieces go. We have this established character trait that Benoit Blanc is not good at like what people would consider sort of like mystery detective games like Among Us, like Clue it's he's like that's stupid that's not real to him (laughs) yes and that leads into the the stupidity of the real crime at hand and there were some women that we were sitting next to where like they were probably like you know five or ten years older than us so like middle-aged women um and like they they were (laughs) they were like not loudly but loud enough that it's like talking and reacting to the movie and so, you know, there's the point in which Batista's character dies, right? And it's happening. And I don't know about you, but my reaction during that is like, oh, what's the pineapple? Like, he's having an allergic reaction. Like, are we going to find, like, his EpiPen on him? Like, it's he set that up earlier in the movie. Sure. He's, like, choking. His throat is clearly closing up. It's the pineapple. And that's the point is that like because that was so obviously set up Mm -hmm. it's not clever it's not a clever way that he was killed we find out it was a the edward norton's character miles braun was that his character's name yes he's like he he's made nothing for himself everything from his life has been either stolen or you know copied or just he's just wrong he uses the wrong intelligent big words (laughs) yes which you know this is not, you know, I, I do that sometimes, so I get it. But he's a fraud, and he can't even come up with clever ways to, like, kill people off. And But, like, these women next to us were, like, reacting to things as if they were, like, really clever solving the mystery. Oh, and it's like, no, the point is is that this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, when he, when he realizes that he was, you know, Benoit Blanc is the one who gave him the idea of turning the lights off and putting a loaded gun on the table, like it's it's funny because this guy doesn't have an original bone in his body he's not creative and so this whole shtick he hired a writer to write this this whole mystery <laughs> you know dinner theater game um 
So it was very strange to have these girls next to us sort of like, quote unquote, solving the mystery and being all proud of the fact that they were, were figuring out stuff that was going on. And it, it was, you know, it was it was it was like when they were at the beginning of the film, they were solving the big box and the uh, was it Kate Hudson's character, yes, Bernie, uh, you know, <laughs> she's like, you know, getting really excited about stuff. But it's like, yeah, you no shit. <laughs> <laughs> you're not smart. You're not clever. You're you're stating the obvious. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought the collection of characters was really uh, fun as well because in a similar way that's that's different to Knives Out is that you know they're all family but a lot of them don't like each other and this one like they're all friends but there's like one person that they clearly have backstabbed and uh, mm. yeah I, I thought that was a really interesting twist on the first film as well um and i i think the twist of all that i I found really interesting is suddenly you're a little over i think halfway through the film and you realize that a lot of what you've seen is kind of a lie uh benoit blanc for the first half of the film is almost groveling uh, to be like i'll play any role you want in this mystery game and you're kind of like man he's (laughs) he's so different and then you realize oh He's been putting on an act the whole time. <laughs> like, he's got this whole plan. Like how, in the first one, uh, uh, Christopher Plummer and Ana de Armas have this plan that they have to go along with. And in this one, it's Benoit Blanc and... Uh, what was her character's name? Was twin sister. Yeah, the twin, twin sister. Like yeah, uh, Cassandra <laughs> Brand. Um, although, I guess that was that was not who... Anyway... It doesn't have her actual character's name here because they don't want to spoil the movie for people um, in the cast list. But um, uh, you know what? That's that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I thought that was really clever, and uh, even the little things like the um, this isn't a little thing actually. This was a really funny gag uh, early in the film. Benoit Blanc is eating something, and he's like, oh, "This is spicy," or something like that, and. He gets told, and he gets given by uh, Edward Norton's character, Jeremy Renner's hot sauce. And uh, he uses the hot sauce later as, as fake blood and, and puts it in his eyes in order to cry, uh, which I, I thought was very funny. Oh, yeah, the, the reveal of Jeremy Renner's smiling face <laughs> as he turns around the bottle of hot sauce. That was a huge laugh in the theater. Yes, that was same. Super, super funny. Because it, it really is, like, once you get... It, it's like a halfway through the film, we get a turn and we go back and you know, to the earlier point and we get to learn all this new information and we're seeing scenes in a new light. Um, then things start to really kick off. It felt like the audience was like really kicking into gear at that point. Cause then like immediately after we get like the fake blood on her and then there's like the bit that slips off of her lip and it's like going to go up her nose. And oh yeah. It's, it's like a tense moment, but it's also really funny. And I mean, yeah, that was kind of the the whole film is it's this wonderful balance of all these little clues and all these little pieces and if if you're sort of paying attention it all adds up and it, it makes sense and it it does like the proper amount of like handholdy stuff, you know, where it explains certain things. But then, like I mentioned earlier, where it's like the pineapple you know, we just get Batista, who is this, he's like a streamer. Yes. He was like a, he used to do like Let's Plays and like Twitch gaming. And now he's just like one of those internet people where it's like, what do you do? It's like, I just talk to a, a camera yeah. and I 
talk to a, a stream, you know, a live stream of my audience, and he got in trouble for for selling boner pills with white no horn in it <laughs> uh, to teenagers. And yeah, he's he's just a very like jokingly statement. If like you know, I don't I don't mess around with pineapple. And it's it's just the setup right there. It's very, very simple. And, you know, that whole scene was we get the scene where all the characters arrive at a pier and like everything about like the car they arrive in, their outfits, the the masks and how they wear them. Yeah. You notice that like Catherine Hahn, it's like she has a mask on, but eventually it starts to like slip below her nose yeah. and she's not fixing it. And then she fixes it. Uh birdie is like one of those stupid people who has a mask on but it's a stylish mask it's it's, it's just not even a mask a face covering it's it's a holes in it you yeah. know yeah it's jewelry yeah <laughs> um yeah and then batista shows up no mask like yeah you're learning all these things about these characters in this fun mm-hmm. way and uh the whole movie is that like you're still learning about them well into the film and it's 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 fun you know it's it's a it's a good job of really showing and and not you know telling you know there's not a there's obviously lines that explain stuff but there's no sit down moments of of explaining oh well you know me being a scientist and you being a politician blah 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 you know they they don't they don't do that kind of stuff i give that a big old thumbs up i really enjoyed it oh yeah most definitely i i really really liked this film it's fun it's funny Daniel Craig is just a good actor, and uh, so is everybody else in the movie. So that helps in terms of that. But I, I can't wait to see mm-hmm. where he shows up next. Like I said, this is this is his next thing. It's a good thing he's done with Bond because I want now yes. a decade of of <laughs> block <laughs> films. Essentially, that's the beauty. You have him with anybody. Um, you know, I I mm-hmm. saw someone suggest that in you know this wouldn't be real. But, like, you could put him in with, like, the Always Sunny cast, and it would work. You know? Like, you just have him with an eclectic group, and, you, and you've got it. Like, and I know, obviously, these are well-crafted movies with very clever little intricate details. So, I'm not literally meaning that you could just toss him anywhere. I, I, I'm i just saying I'm excited for more stories with this character. So, I hope it doesn't stop, you know? I And Ryan Johnson, you make good things. Um, you know, I, I alluded to earlier, uh, one of the scenes where we, we get Edward Norton's character once again, his very fake character being, uh, acting as if he's like pushing boundaries and being this like crazy, uh, you know, the sort of tech guy, like an Elon Musk type. Um, <laughs> yes. And he's talking about how, like, you want to find something that people want changed, but you don't want to push it too hard and break it. They don't want you to break the system. They just want you to break the thing, and it's like, I know you're not, but <laughs> hmm, I didn't. I, I was wondering what you meant. I didn't think of that, but yeah, Star Wars, you're right. get it? But no, I, I'm I'm happy that he's doing these projects like this because this is this is good. And yeah, if if you like Knives Out, you'll definitely like this. Like it's it's not like yeah. it's drastically different to the point where you're gonna be lost if you liked the first one. I mean, unless you just really dig that fall aesthetic. And you're like, I can't deal with the beach, you know? Sure. So that's yeah. it. But other than that, it's possible. Still very stylish looking film. So there's you know, it's not completely derived of uh good visuals. It's just a different summer movie. Well, Anthony, 
sorry everybody I, you can hear it in my voice i'm now i'm worried <laughs> anyway where can people find you online oh my god um well since twitter's still here you can find me at anthony lantern on instagram and twitter of course as well as a letterboxd if this isn't enough movie talk for you you can see that where i see two movies a month if that um i'm also <laughs> anthony reviews where anthony reviews where I recently put up a video discussing Mattel's DC Multiverse line, not McFarland's, but Mattel's DC Multiverse line. And um, I don't know what happened, if I could be frank real quick. Uh, it did really well in its first couple days, and then YouTube, the algorithm just killed it. It's 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 reached like a drip. It's a crawl of like a couple of views a day. So I don't know what happened. But it got some really good reviews in like the first couple days, and people seem to really enjoy it. So I'm happy with that. I'm happy with the video itself. I don't know why YouTube killed it, but give that a watch if you'd like. So, um, yeah, there's that. Kirk, what's your letterbox? My letterbox is Kirk Beatty. That is also my Twitter. Let's end the show. Anthony, uh, I've already <laughs> asked you the question. Do you have a song? Well, I just wanted to say this is probably our last show of, of the year. So uh, happy holidays. Yeah. Uh, happy New Year. Um, yeah, that's all I really wanted to say. But uh, hey, guys, this is Anthony. And you're watching or listening, I guess, to The Grund. <laughs>